The Lord be with you. And also with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into God's presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are God's people and the sheep of God's pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Beloved, we greet you, those present at 735 Commonwealth Avenue in the nave of Marsh Chapel, those listening across New England at National Public Radio WBUR 90.9 FM, and our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. Beloved, we welcome your emailed or written responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-selection for forms of ministry in this summer and in this year, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship come Sunday at 11 a.m. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
pray together. O God, the King of glory, you have exalted your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph to your kingdom in heaven. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior Christ has gone before, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. We have come to know, we have remembered and we have recollected, we have come to know in our time the power of pardon, the peace of pardon, which comes for the asking, said Mr. Wesley, his first question to those who were to preach. Do you know God to be a pardoning God? As those who extend forgiveness, may we be those who receive forgiveness in God's pardon. As the choir sings our Kyrie, may we bow in silent confession. Beloved, hear good news. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. A lesson from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Thanks be to God. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what it is, what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. 
God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. say verses from Psalm 47 responsively with the antiphon. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is awesome, a great king over all the earth. 
he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God is King over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John chapter 3 verses 1 through 17. Glory Glory to you, o Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of his community. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes or from where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the, the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Grace may find you 
in the mist. Grace may embrace you in the midst of a lasting fog, of a London-like fog, of a spring eternal, of an English spring. Grace may find you when you least expect it. Your faith will never mean as much to you as it does the day you truly need it. At Boston University, we are on the far side of commencement. The tide has rolled out. Roll in it will again in August, but for now, the majority of our faculty and staff and students are away on summer break, and we are able to pause and enjoy the in reverie, the remembrance of things past, of commencement and its moments and glories, of thousands together without rain on Nickerson Field, guided by our president, Robert A. Brown, in the conferring of degrees, and then school by school and college by college, words fitly spoken for hooding of various kinds. Two smaller settings continue to impress us. They are gatherings in a sort of fog, a kind of English spring. You know that May season in jolly old England in London where the rain continues to fall. Even when it isn't raining, it's raining still. For three years we have attended at 3.30 in the afternoon in Faneuil Hall the commissioning ceremony for our graduates of the ROTC program. Could there be a more sonorous setting for such a ceremony within the confines of Faneuil Hall with a bit of memory of those who have been there before, spoken there before, those whose voices still reverberate in that historic, symbolic center of the cradle of liberty. The hall is largely fairly full. Many are dressed in their Sunday best, though some are attired informally. There is a gathering of the graduating class. There are speeches. There is a prayer. There are awards given. And then in a long quiet, woman by woman and man by man, the students, soldiers come forward, usually with their mother and father. And in an extended moment of silence, extended partly for the logistical need to put on some badges for a new rank, left shoulder and right shoulder, but a silence that is thunderous for those present with its portent. There comes a moment when it is shockingly clear, personally impressive, the cost and the sacrifice when peaceful means fail and when diplomacy itself gives out. 
These are young people. Jesus died a young man. These are young women and men. One presented an award. He was named as one who generated team spirit, was a fine athlete and student, and had a great sense of humor, including, we were told, the fact that he still carried as his wallet a Chuck E. Cheese wallet for his personal funds. These are young people. One wonders whether out of this group a Winston Churchill might arise. Another kind of fog met us a few days later at the graduation ceremony for our Boston University Academy. Not yet quite 20 years of graduates, but coming soon. These young people were four years at least younger than their comrades in Faneuil Hall. They were attired in robes, not uniforms. And they came forward not with the military songs, but with a stately, gracious, piano-played pomp and circumstance. Theirs were student speeches to begin, orations in Greek and Latin, as much public vocal use of Latin on Commonwealth Avenue, we may think, since Vatican II or thereabouts, beautifully done. The senior speaker said, among other things, I will not miss needing to work through my Latin vocabulary in the shower. Here is a commitment to a kind of height, a kind of excellence for the future. The speaker of the day playfully quoted a British scholar of the 1960s whom he named as a philosopher and social analyst, one J. Lennon, and his colleague, another P. McCartney. Some there caught the reference, as here some do, saying, as they wrote, money cannot buy love, and love is all you need. And then turn to say, when you go to college, let me, he didn't use the word conscience, but he said, you're carrying a kind of radar in your heart, and it's going to sound off when you enter a situation that could cause you some harm. Listen to your heart. One wondered if from that group of 38 graduates, another John Wesley might emerge. Nicodemus comes out of the fog. He is the best coming at night. He represents that community from which John and John's hearers in the early second century have moved away. He represents the inheritance, the mother tongue, the mother religion, that with, with which, with great difficulty, they have moved away from dislocate, with dislocation and disappointment and difficulty. Nicodemus comes forward to raise a question of faith. This text has cousins, neighbors in virtually every venerable religious text from antiquity. Where is faith? 
Where is the authority of faith? Given the hidden obscurity of the divine, the fog, the English spring in which we live. You know, the Bible is largely a record of the absence of God, the hiddenness of God, the obscure mystery of the divine. Can one be put again in one's mother's womb and so born again? He's a literalist. And the response in this mystagogical riddle, which with the other scenes from John 2 through John 11, began life as sermons, homilies, later composed, later stitched together. The response in spirit is this. The wind blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it and you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In this gospel and in this great high peak of the fourth gospel, there's a recognition of the nature of faith, freedom, freedom to love, love of freedom. There is a recognition of the authority of faith, freedom, freedom to love, love of freedom. But says Nicodemus and we with him, Aren't there some ways to find our way forward fundamentally in the perusal and the honoring of Scripture, the Ten Commandments? Or, as elsewhere in the text, is there not a way for us to find our way forward in the structure and the order of things, laity and deacons and elders and bishops? And for Nicodemus and for all time, the word of faith puts a limit to the power of fundamentalism on the one hand or ecclesiasticism on the other. Surely life needs edges like a river needs boundaries. But faith, faith is found on the far side, in the mist, in the English spring, come May or any other day, when the need is great, the warfare long, and the hour upon us. I would love to know in more intimate detail the season in which you walk, and particularly the droplets of mist that I think I see in the mind's eye I see attending your furrowed brow. Oh, I can imagine. Actually, I know. I have two feet as well, and two hands, and of a far more human being than one could easily imagine. Nicodemus in the mist raises the question, and the answer comes back, faith is found, at the intersection of freedom and love. Maybe we would think of Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or John's inheritor 
in a later epistle. This is right in the Bible. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's love abides in us and is made whole in us. Every Sunday there are four calendars at work. Largely here we see one and truly and mainly so. There is the liturgical calendar and our organist and choir help us to remember that this is Ascension Day and the music selected for today and the prayers chosen and the lessons, the epistle and the psalm. The lectionary we use every week, it reminds us of where we are on the church calendar. But there are three other calendars at work every week, too. We teach our students here in the School of Theology largely about this one, the first one, and rightly so. Where else will they learn and hear? But you can think of the others today, May 24th. This is Memorial Day weekend, the official start of summer. It's a cultural calendar that circumscribes our life. It's a time when Others may be putting boats in the water or planting flowers or beginning a new season, and we recognize that. A third calendar is that of the local congregation. I mentioned it to begin. Marsh Chapel is at ebb tide. The tide is coming back, but it'll be another season. And the fourth is Related to us as, as denominations can be, we are interdenominational, but every denomination will remind its congregations of a calendar. You know, in Methodism, the movement that spawned Boston University through the work of John Dexter in 1839, hardly 50 years after John Wesley had died, there is a recognition that May 24th, that's today, is the date on which John Wesley's turn in faith on Aldersgate Street occurred in 1738, 271 years ago. More on that later. So all this was going on, you said, at church. All these four calendars, and I hardly recognized it. Here we are. It was another kind of English spring, another kind of fog that settled into and the life of and on to the heart of Winston Churchill in May of 1940. Maybe you remember John Lukacs' book, Five Days in London, May 1940. Winston Churchill, who knew defeat, who knew hardship, and who came to gather his cabinet, most of whom were better polished, better known, better cultured, than he, whose mother uh, had grown up in upstate New York and Pompey, New York. There was always a question about Winston. But he clung to freedom. With Belgium defeated, Churchill clung to freedom. With France severed in two, Churchill clung to freedom. With 400,000 Soldiers, the best of the British Army, waiting on Dunkirk Beach, seemingly without possible rescue, Churchill clung to freedom. With the Luftwaffe ready to incinerate England's green and pleasant land, Churchill clung 
to freedom. And with Lord Halifax ready to seek terms and Lord Chamberlain ready to help him, Churchill clung to a love of freedom. And in his clinging, we have the benefit of speaking English and not German on this morning, and in his clinging, we are gathered further along the road of a love of freedom so that Lukacs can conclude his work saying, the British did not win the Second World War. That took Russia and the United States. But Winston Churchill, and he alone, at least in the five days of an English spring, May 1940, he did not lose it. There is a courageous love of freedom, a confidence born of obedience that is at the heart of lived faith. We remember that in the days of our English spring. Speaking of England and of May and of the springtime and of the hidden obscurity of way leading on to way, we remember the evening of May 24th and 1738 John Wesley went very unwillingly, he wrote. Not the first ever to go to church very unwillingly. Off he went. I picture a small evening prayer service on the little side street called Aldersgate in London. There he went and heard the hymns and the liturgy. He heard the prayers, the reading from Romans 8, and Martin Luther's commentary and sermon on Romans 8. And then the benediction was said and he turned and left and went out into the mist, the London fog, and as he wrote later, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Not an emotion only, not a sentiment only, partly a feeling and mostly the gift of faith received, the decision of faith taken, the offer of faith accepted. A willingness to move away from what you and I may say you rightly are most ashamed of, toward which you and I may say you rightly are most potentially proud of. To move away from the ignoble to the fair and the lasting and the good. I felt my heart strangely warmed. And from that incident in a constellation of many others, look what happened. The burgeoning development of a new Protestant tradition, Methodism across this country, then later from the Atlantic to the Pacific, 128 existing schools, colleges, and universities, including Boston University, of this tradition, all committed to his motto, do all the good you can at all the times you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. In English spring, a late evening with rain is not a very promising moment. And whatever existential variety of that you endure today, maybe we can remember the gift of faith, grace embracing us, 
where we least expect it. Faith is personal. If we knew everything, we would not need trust. If we had certainty, we could live without confidence. If we were clairvoyant, we wouldn't need faith, but here we are. In the future, it's that same lasting mist. This service is a call to you to receive the gift of faith for the first time or for the first time in a long time and to move from the good to the better to the best and to receive such a gift, always, by the way, the work of the Holy Spirit as our and your very own. Commencement ended, the service, the liturgy, if you will, the gathering at Nickerson Field. I had been asked to do the benediction. All of the speeches were so tellingly about choice and decisions and lives lived for the good that, you know, the written benediction just didn't seem to fit. All of the examples and honorees were people from Larry Bird to Steven Spielberg and everybody in between who'd made a difference. And I looked at Father Paul and I looked at what I had written and I decided it's time to call an audible. So we went to the microphone and concluded this way as we end today. It's, by the way, the living of faith, it's up to you. We concluded with a New England poem and poet as best we could remember it. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, though having perhaps a better claim, for it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the parting there had warned them both about the same. And both that morning equally lay and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever get back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for prayer, I invite you to stand, sit, or come forward to kneel at the altar rail if it is your tradition to do so. Now let us sing together the call to prayer, hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord.
God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, we take a moment to praise you. Holy is your name, great is your power, enduring is your love, and endless is your faithfulness. We give you all glory and honor, Father. We remember those who came before us, who sacrificed and fought for the freedoms we have today. For their courage, faith, and hope, we are thankful. We pray for those who continue to fight injustice, disease, poverty, and ignorance in this nation and around the world. Give us all the strength and conviction to continue the fight. We are grateful that we are able to gather together freely to worship you publicly in Marsh Chapel. We are also thankful for the technology that enables us to worship together with our virtual congregation, separated by time as well as space. As we thank you, we are mindful of those who are prevented from worshiping you freely. Have mercy on them, dear God. Grant them the peace of your presence in their silent worship. Help of the helpless, abide with us. Comfort the sick, the dying, and those who mourn. We pray for those in need. Grant peace to those in violent homes and communities. We pray for the heads of these households and the leaders of these communities. Give them the courage and compassion to end this violence and make peace. Bless our nation and its leaders as they struggle with the challenges we all face. We confess our sins and humbly ask for forgiveness, gracious Father. We open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Renew our hearts so we may follow your example and approach others without condemnation, but with love, understanding, and forgiveness. We ask these things in the name of love's pure light, our beloved Jesus Christ, and pray together as he taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. We'd lift up two announcements today. The first is that June 21st begins uh, our 10 weeks of our National Summer Preacher Series, this summer on the theme of Darwin and Faith. We look forward to having preachers familiar and unfamiliar with us across those 10 weeks until the end of August. You can find more information in the back of your bulletin or on the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu slash chapel. We're also happy to announce this morning the launch of our new e-magazine, Motives. It's available on the Marsh Chapel website also, bu.edu slash chapel slash motives, and there's a link from the front page of the website. We give thanks this morning to our choir, this morning under the direction of Mr. Timothy Westerhouse and our guest organist, Mr. Christian Lane, coming over from Harvard Memorial Church to be with us in worship this morning. We would refer you to the Marsh Chapel website for all other upcoming events. We would also hope that while you're there, you may avail yourself as the Spirit moves for the opportunity for online giving. We encourage those of you here with us to fill out the red pad at the end of your pew so that we can get to know one another better and get to know you throughout the week. Now walk in love as Christ loves us and offering and sacrifice to God.
Holy God, we give you thanks for the bountiful gifts you have bestowed upon us. We offer a portion of those gifts back to you now that they may be used for ministry in this the world you have created. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Best of all is, God is with us. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen.